Welcome to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Steps Magazine. Today on the pod, we're happy to welcome back the Cubs fan to go over the recently held CMLL anniversary show. We're going to talk about the show match by match, including those that didn't take place and had to be replaced. What was good, what was not so good, and what is the future going forward for CMLL with the upcoming Dia de la Mortes show. We're also going to talk about the general lucha scene in Mexico overall, how things have been going the last few months, and what things look like going forward. We're also going to talk about the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame ballot. Uh, Cubs and I are both voters, so we're going to go over each of the lucha candidates, who has a good chance to go in, who we were surprised to be on the ballot, and more. We're also going to briefly talk about the Major League Baseball postseason, which Cubs is Cubs, naturally, and my Padres are both involved. And we're going to end the show with some brief next-generation video game discussion. We hope to announce soon a new project that is coming to the website and maybe also to the podcast. Look for us to update anything on Twitter or on the website for that in the future. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Warner Palace. Uh, the CMLL anniversary show was last week, and as we usually do around this time of year, it's time to talk to the Cubs fan about that show, uh, which is certainly a most unusual circumstance given everything that's going on. Um, sort of the state of lucha in general in Mexico compared to maybe how things are here, and some other stuff. So how's it going, Cubs? It's going okay. How's it going for you? Uh, I am good. Uh, I did not get to see the anniversary show because I was at work, and given the their peculiar new streaming system, I didn't think I'd be able to watch it later. So let's just uh, give the results before we start. Um, the first. Well, oh, go ahead. Oh, I thought you were asking me. But, you know, it was it, the the system they're using um, has no video on demand feature, just a, a very strange choice. But it wouldn't be a Lucha Libre show if there wasn't something weird going on with the pay-per-view. I was going to say, if you, especially uh, if you read uh, Fredo's tweets, it seems like he always predicts some, some kind of calamity. And I think 99% of the time he's usually right about – and, there, and it's never the same screw-up like two times in a row, depending on the company or whether it's the stream or it buffers or it doesn't work or you can't log in. It always seems like it's something with Lucha pay-per-views. Yeah, it, it's, I think, a system, a, a product of them trying to do their own systems the whole time instead of trying to, like, work with an like, established company who does this full-time. But So you get some weird results, like... To that, like, you're not the only person I heard of who would have probably been interested in watching the show, but just because of the way they made it available, just it made it possible for you to give them any money to actually watch the show. Yeah, and I mean, I I haven't really been paying close attention, but have the uh, have the streams for the last couple weeks that have been through through their Ticketmaster uh, stream have those. Has that footage shown up online for people to watch, either officially or unofficially? Officially, no. Unofficially, I think there's some people who have put some of it or even just put clips of it on YouTube. But um, I guess one of 
CMLLs, um, things to work on during the pandemic is to be a lot more tight, to be a lot tighter on copyright protection on YouTube. So people have got videos taken down, even if they were just using a clip of the show. I'm sure if you dig far enough in Facebook they, or on alternate video sites, you could probably find it someplace, but it's a lot harder to find than it used to. I'm saying you you know all too well about CMLL and their YouTube policy, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they discovered uh, the way to find videos a little easier, and instead of monetize them like other companies might do, they decide they want to be the only place to have them. So they've been – it may be something that just lasts a few months and goes away, but for right now it's, it's a t tough situation if you want to see any of their matches outside of their official channel. Yeah, and before we actually get to the, the results of the show, there were at least, what, three or four people who had been scheduled for the anniversary show and had to pull out uh, in the last couple of days due to uh, positive tests? Yeah, there were four people scheduled. I think there was like an eight-day period where four different people got pulled off the show. Princess Shriggy um, announced herself that she got a COVID test, and then... The promotion slowly announced that Yuvia, Ultimo Guerrero, and Bandito were all, all off the show. It was a seven-match show, and they were all in different matches, so that like changed about half the card from what was originally announced. And we had already lost, well, we had an injury replacement for the trios match where we were going to get to see a uh, friend of the show, Echicero, and uh, occasional friend of the show, Caveman, uh, and Terribla wrestle for the one of the six-man titles, but after Calvinario got hurt a couple weeks ago, that well, what he was replaced by Templario, and then Templario had to replace Bandito. Yeah, it was like Templario got pulled out of one match, got put in the second match, and then that second match got pulled off, and he got put back in the first match when the other person got pulled off. So it was just he was bouncing around a lot on this card, and ironically the. Us losing that match probably gave us a match that wasn't originally scheduled and was arguably the best match on the show. Yeah, they just to keep seven matches once they lost that trio style match. With the other matches, they were all singles match, so you just they just found whoever was second place in the voting and put them in and promised to do that title match sometime down on the line. But you can't really do that when one of the champions is out. So they replaced the trio style match with Titan versus Soberano. And those two had a couple of really good matches at the end of last year, so it was pretty obvious that this was going to be close to the best or the best match on the show, and they really blew everyone. There were other matches that were good, but that was very clearly the best match on the show, and it wasn't announced till two days before the show. Well, I guess we can then go over the results. Uh, the first match was the minis title, which... Was it a surprise that Microman did not win, or was it because there was no fans, there was no point in having him win right now? I, I think it was. It was I think it was that latter that they want to save Microman beating Jamal for a uh, for a point where they have fans in the building, and it kind of slightly pushed the idea that Microman's just not the same without the fans there to cheer him on. So it's kind of like it built into the story a little bit, but I think they just want, they know that's going to be a big reaction when they do it. So they didn't want to give it away with no fans there. How was that match? Cause those two seem to have good chemistry together. Tremol was pretty good. Microman just seemed like he was out of practice a little bit and not in his usual shape. They went about 13 minutes and he was, Microman was 
getting really tired by the last few minutes. So it was not their best match, but it was still a good match. It's good. The second match was the one we had already alluded to, which was Teton versus Soberano Jr. And like you said, that was really good. Yeah, it's it was. I, I think the one criticism is it feels more like a New Japan Junior match than a normal CMLL title match because both of them are clearly influenced by what they've seen in New Japan and what they saw when Dragon Lee was here, and it's kind of worked more towards their style. But they both progress as wrestlers and they're more they're they're more thoughtful about how they're setting up moves and how they're escaping with each other and just even like mixing up their usual sequences so it doesn't feel like the same match even if they're keep on going against each other and is them working a new japan style match also a hope that hopefully if people are, things are traveling by the time of fantastic mania that they might get invites this year yeah, I don't know if Fantastic Mania is going to happen itself, but I, I do think both of them have in mind that they really want to be on that Best of Super Juniors term if that's still going to happen later this year. That, that kind of seemed like a match that would perfectly fit in that sort of tour. The third match was one of the women's titles with, with uh, Reina Isis beating La Metallica. Yeah, and Reina Isis um, has been one of the better women's wrestlers since they've done the restart. Um, she had a nice match with La Gerotita um, a couple weeks ago. So um, it was not a big surprise to see her win. Well, Metallica had a critically despised match last year and didn't get to defend her title for a full year until now. So it was a surprise she lost. But I thought the two mixed together pretty well with um, – it's an unusual matchup, but I thought they showed a lot. Maybe they didn't need to go 17 minutes, but otherwise it was they did pretty well. And it's interesting because Rena Isis really has not been a wrestler all that long. I mean, I think most of us sort of, I mean, for the first couple of years that I started rewatching Lucha again, she was just a valet, and now she's turned out to be a fairly decent worker. Yeah, I, I think she she was a person that was also just very uncomfortable being a valet at first, and it was a slow process for her to get better at that. And I think she's shown that she's put in some work to get better in the ring too. I think she's probably of the younger Conseco luchadores. She's probably the best one at this point. Now that I was I was uh, looking at some stuff on Facebook, and I. I hadn't realized just how long it's been now since Zeusies has been gone from CMLL. You know, it's like, you know, especially now that they have such a dearth of talent, it's it's too bad she's not still there. Yeah, I, I think there's just, I, I think also because she bridged the gap where she was one of the few younger wrestlers who, especially young, younger female wrestlers who seem to get a booking respect. And, this Reina Isis win was big because it's rare for Reina Isis to even get a shot at titles. It's usually like the same three people in the women's division defending the titles against each other. So I, I, I think they miss Zeuxis. They miss Lee Maravilla, who left around the same time. I think they're slowly building some people up to take those spaces, but it's been, but it's been a while, and I'm not sure how far they'll actually end up going with them. Sort of the... I mean, I think that was one of the cool things that had been set up for the anniversary show, given this the poll format, which if people don't know, um, it was an all it was sort of a night of the champions format with everybody defending a title, and they put it to 
fans voting, which led to, as we'll see uh, next and later, for some some people who are respected workers but not in the usual mix that actually got the opportunity to have a, a big match, let alone a match on the anniversary show. Yeah, I, I think you know, in almost all the cases, it was the fans voting for someone who the bookers would never put in that position, where the the usual guys, the favorites you could tell in each category were just kind of ignored because I think the fans wanted to see something they didn't always see, and they also wanted to reward people who they felt worked very hard but weren't really treated well by the promotion. And to their credit, presumably this vote was straight, I would assume. Yeah, it was. It's not the first time this has happened where the fans have kind of, where they had open voting and that the fans have gone against the, the promotion. But the one thing you could say for Conseco Mundial is that they always go with what those fan polls want and they don't, they don't seem like they try to work them in any way. No. Uh, the next match was uh, the only trios match on the show, which was the new generation Dinamitas versus Los Canceroberos. And the champions won. So I think a lot of us, you know, a lot of us uh, online fans are V-Roos fans. And the other two, uh, sometimes yes, sometimes no. I guess it depends on sort of their attitude in any particular match. So how did this go? It was a mix. I think uh, the I think the problem with the new generation Dinamitas is they, came, they debuted very well, but they got over doing a specific match, like a very specific, the same match um, every time. And then they decide, well, we're over, so we don't really need to learn anything beyond that. And they've very much plateaued since then. So part of this was them doing their usual match. And part of this was more like how the virus and his trio would normally um, be physical with undercard workers, which was a different perspective for um, the Dinamitas than usual. I think because... The Considerbro, Reziel, and Virus were very excited to work on the show. There's like a stronger effort than you might see in a normal NGD match, but it also it didn't break them out of the rut. It was it was good, but it did not sound like it would like setting them up to have more good matches down the road. Yeah, I would assume this is sort of a one and done for them, and those guys will be back sort of you know in the second or third match where they usually are. Yeah, I, I think so too, but I think they they made the most of their opportunity. The next match was the other women's match, which was Marcella keeping her title over Dallas, but not in the way you probably would hope or expect. Well, I think it was the way you would probably you might expect given who was in the match, but it was certainly not well received. Uh and for Dallas, this is the second year in a row where her anniversary show match was not well received. Yeah, it's a situation where Dallas takes 75, 85% of all her matches. And then if she's going to lose, she's going to lose in a preposterous fashion where she still should have been given the victory. It, it, it's it, it's strange they would let anyone have matches like this, but obviously... It only shows, it only proves that she has some sort of special status in the promotion. I mean, she got to cleanly beat Marcella here, 
but she held on her hold for the quickest five seconds possible so she could be DQ'd about it and not keep the title, but she still gets to go off and say she's the best woman because she won the match. It's very strange. I don't understand why they put up with Dallas for doing these sort of things, and I'm not sure why they just give her the title if it meant so much to her, because it's not like it's an important title in the big scheme of things. Marcella has not really looked good since she's come back from the pandemic break, but it's only been a month, but she's also getting up there in age, and she's slowed down in the last few years. So this felt like we saw something that was more political chess maneuvering than a match, because I'm not really sure why you had to have Marcella keep the title. I'm not sure why Dallas had to lose that way. And the match that actually happened wasn't very satisfying at all. And apparently Dallas has apparently thin skin because she has spent the last week responding to criticism online, to put it politely. Yeah. I mean, there are plenty of people who are fans of CMLL and who are not fans of Dallas and are letting and have noticed the same thing that anyone watching the promotion that she seems to be in some sort of favored status and complained to her about it. And she's complained back. She seems to be living in a kayfabe world where because she wins championships, that actually proves she is in real life the best wrestler, which is a very like 1970s thinking, maybe. It's very strange, but it's like also a whole bunch of energy about a title that no one except the three women who get to have it really care anything about. And the funny thing is that uh, it generally seems, certainly in the last few years, that Negar Costa seems to be happy to lose often. You know, he, he's never shy about putting anybody over. So it's like, you think he could have a word with her about it. Yeah, it's like the, the whole rest of the family. You know, Felino does not... It's not like Felino's getting any big wins. It's not like Tiger's getting any big wins. Um, it's only Dallas. So I don't know if maybe Negro Casas is willing to lose all the time so his wife gets a win all the time or something. But it's, it's like a very strange situation that's really out of place in the promotion. It's also funny. I don't remember if you said this on Twitter or maybe it was Rob who pointed out that Dallas is among like the oldest luchadors on the roster, but because she started so late, she's also one of the most inexperienced. Yeah. She's, I think she's treated and she treats herself like she's an all time legend, but he's someone who's only been wrestling maybe a decade now. It's she got in late because she was taking care of her kids before getting to wrestling, which is totally admirable, but she's also at an age where she started at the age where no one else would probably be allowed to start and she's probably at an age where most women wrestlers would have already retired, but she's projected as the number one undisputed top wrestler and will be one for a while to come. Maybe she thinks, like, uh, her titles also equate to her bodybuilding wins. That somehow that, that's part of it, too. That, that's the only thing I think of is that, you know, they that whoever's deciding these things sees how hard she works to get do the bodybuilding stuff and decides the bodybuilding is better than actually being a good performer in the ring. It's maybe that's like eighties thinking WWF thinking. That's the kind of mindset that she has. But she was, but she's also what one of the 100 most important women in South America or something to that effect, whatever yeah. that, that poll was. It, that was the random collection of names where they need someone from Panama and they looked up Dallas and put her in there. And she probably found out about it at the same time everyone else did, but that that's, you know, 
I think Dallas and Sexy Star have a lot in common that way, where it's like anytime someone says something, she gets a, they get a like random bit of praise, you kind of cringe because that'll just feed the ego monster even bigger. The penultimate match was Volador, oddly not in the main event, versus Templario, as we said, who was a replacement for Bandito. Yeah, and, this, you know, Volador has seemed like a guy who's been walking through matches. He's got the same issue as the um, Dinamita guys, where he's just, he's figured out a match that got over a few years ago, and now he's just going to keep on doing that match, and maybe slower and worse versions of that until someone stops him, and no one's in the position to stop him. But in this case, I think maybe because of this Templario, who's one of the better young guys they have, they work at a much faster pace than usual for Volador, and they mix it up a little bit. It got towards his usual style at the end, but still, it was a lot more enjoyable than I thought we were going to get out of him. Yeah, I know in certain circles that, yeah, the the predictability of his matches has sort of become tiresome to some people. Yeah, I, I think it, it doesn't help that uh, the promotion puts him in so many singles matches each year. I mean, I think outside of, like, New Japan guys, he's probably got, like, the most high-profile number of singles matches that they do because they feel like he's still a draw when he does that, even though it doesn't seem that way, but they just keep trusting him in those situations. And I don't think, I think they overextend him to a way that would be, that would be harmful to anyone else. But I think, so I think you have to give a little praise to Tepelaro here, who's like not as charismatic as Bandito, but I think in the ring, he's got as much physical tools as Bandito. And he just kind of, needs to get a little bit more experience and probably needs to get some more exposure outside of his, of just working CMLL matches to learn a little bit more of what he can do. But I think he's got the talent to be a, a giant star for the promotion if they push him that way. Right. And the main event was the tag belts with Caristico and Mystico taking on perhaps the, well, the match is the main event because this team got the most votes or there was the most votes in this category, but certainly perhaps the biggest upset I'm being on here. And that's Ray Cometa and his brother Espiritu Negro. Yeah. I mean, Ray Cometa has been always a hardworking mid-car guy who only gets pushed far enough so he can take a big loss. Um, Espiritu Negro has even has been like an opening match guy who was just, whose biggest career match to this point was just earlier this year where for the first time he actually got a feud just so he could lose his mask to put someone over. Um, and that wasn't a particularly good feud at all. I, just because he got that feud, they pushed, they they worked off a little bit that, and teamed the two brothers, Espiritu Negro and Ray Kometa, together for one time. But I don't think they, when they put them in this tournament, I think they were just being cute. They knew they had a little bit of fan support and we get people to vote, but they thought one of the more established teams would win. And what they did not figure is that Ray Kometa has a very big following because he's always entertaining whenever they put him in the big spot. And I think that helped them get through this, this main event spot. And this is also something these two had been pushing for months when they were on Informa. They would always mention that they wanted to tag or – Something to that effect, like you said, when when he started getting some actual when Espiritu got airtime on Informa, and 
you know, I mean, credit to these guys for continuing to push. And, yeah, certainly they were probably, I don't want to say the, the joke candidate, but certainly they probably would have wanted the uh, um, the Chavez brothers to win, I would assume, or uh, Dina era Azul to win. But, like you said, this was, you know, a, a way for... I you know I hate to say sort of the more hardcore fans I guess to vote and support to see something different and order to reward these guys. Yeah, and I think it's also I mean it has not been a good couple of last years for CMLL. I think I think there's some staleness come that's come into the promotion because they've had the same guys a lot of the same spots. Some of the more exciting people like Dragon Lee have disappeared. Like you had the LA Park and the and Ray Phoenix and Pentagon come in, but they're gone now. Um, and so it's just like the same group of guys. And I think this is, there was some sort of like a, let's protest what's gone on in the promotion by doing the one thing that we, the things we know they don't want. But I think it's also these guys won because I think they, they've seen Kometa come through in the big matches before and they wanted to see Kometa in another big match. But unfortunately they, I know, uh, I believe at the last minute, Rob thought they were actually going to win, but uh, they did not. No, I, and they really didn't come that close. They got to do a few moves. I think the big concern going to the match, I think, last week was that Espiritu Negro might be out of his stuff as the guy who's been the openers and does not look especially impressive, but it was actually Ray Kometa who had the big faux pas of the match when his big dive went wrong. But otherwise, I, I thought they did well in the opportunity, but... They also was also the promotion saying you guys voted for these guys. We're giving them a real chance, but we're not going to even have them come all that close to beating the guys who are the champs. I think there were more interesting directions if they had gone for the upset, but at least they got their main event out of it, and and they got to look. They they were respecting the booking even if they had come too close to winning. Do you think they'll at least keep them together as sort of I don't know if. Well, I mean, everything's sort of so up in the air, but say if they still had the Arena Coliseo tag belts, that that would be something, a good way to maybe reward those guys if if that was possible, something like that? Something like that, some sort of secondary thing. I, I think it would be, because they've spent the month building up this team, I think it would be foolish just to move on. But it's so tough to know with this promotion if they sometimes they just get stuck in seeing people in certain spots and even if they get over there it's tough for them to change their mind on that. So I hope they will we will keep seeing them together, get more chances during the next couple of months. But I'm not confident about it. Well, the, I guess maybe the good thing for them, sort of gimmick wise, is that we're closing in on uh, on Halloween. And so we already know that they're at least going to have the Dia de la Muerta show on that. That's probably their next next big show that they've at least sort of touted so far. Yeah, that's um, they've listed a bunch of events for October as they continue doing Friday night pay-per-views. And that's coming on at the end of the month. Um, so you would think that their kind of ghost native Mexican gimmicks would work on that kind of show. I mean that would be a time to give them a big win probably because it fits it fits the theme and you know you don't want you don't want 
you know, guys with this gimmick being dragged to hell. It would, you know, those guys should, yeah. they should be on their side, if anything. Yeah, you know, another idea, I mean, I would like to see them as a tag team, but they also do a annual Raydel Inframundo um, match on that show where the winner is the king of hell <laughs> because they're all in hell for that show. And that would be that um, Sanson, one of the Didamitas, has held that title for the last two years. I wonder if Kometa could get something interesting out of him, and that would be kind of a good, like, once-a-year defend-a-tile defend championship for him to be holding. Of course, given the gimmick, of course, I think we all agree that the person who probably should hold that title is Hachisero. Yes, that, that's made for him. So maybe he'll be involved in that, too. Did he Was he one of the announcers since his match got pulled? No, he was not a part of it at all, which, I mean, I feel bad for him and the other Guerreros and everyone else who kind of wanted to be on the show. It, I mean, obviously, it wasn't the same show because it was an empty arena show instead of having a full building for it, and those guys will get their matches later. But I think for the guys who did make it on the show, I think it meant a lot to you, Espirito Negro and Ray Kometa, that they were in the main event of an anniversary show because you can't – there may be some special circumstances, but you can't take the distinction away from them. And for the guys who got left off, it's probably, I think, very disappointing. I know I heard Bandito was just was very much looking forward to being able on to be on anniversary show. That's one of the reasons he came back and hopes to do that. And for them to miss out on this year probably really sucks. And I think it's probably safe to say that this is probably the strangest anniversary show since the earthquake year absolutely i mean there's there's never been a no fan show there's been shows that have all been championship matches but nothing quite like this it's just it, there's i mean it was all one fall show and i don't think i'm not sure that if um they've ever had all a show where every match is one fall like every other promotion um in Kanseka Mundial's history, so it just, it, it's a unique event in their history. And like you said, they've been back for maybe a month, six weeks, I guess, running shows at Arita Mexico at this point? Yeah, they ran, they snuck in the show at the end of July to get approval to run more shows, and then they've been running every Friday since the start of September, and they're going to just be running every Friday through October, and then the, I think they're waiting and seeing when they can bring fans in and when they can open up other arenas. So I know that there have been the occasional spot show around the country, but what's sort of the general overall uh, status of Lucha? Because AAA hasn't run at all since this has started, right? AAA, the only thing they've run was like close set TV tapings that aired as Lucha Fighter, but otherwise they've been locked out. They announced plans to do drive-in shows starting, I think, is it this weekend? Um, but they've been they've been unable to run. In much of Mexico, because of what they've set for the health regulations, show, wrestling shows are technically, or even trading for wrestling, is has, was illegal for many months during this summer. They Some of the states are slowly starting to allow that, and then, like, and there's been weird exceptions, like even though by the letter of law, Mexico State, which is just out of Mexico City, um, is not allowed to have wrestling, they approved it anyways for limited capacity. But in most of Mexico, it's just they're not allowed to have, even if they're allowed to have um, shows, they're not allowed to even have anyone in that shows, no tickets sold. So you've got people under the radar trying to run, or you've got people 
running like pay-per-views with no fans or just most of the cases people are just out of work and they cannot work they cannot put on shows at all because there's no way to make money running them well i know you wrote i think it was was it this week that there was what there had been a show that had been shut down and then they tried to run again and got shut down or something to that effect yeah i'll there's a, a building out in the suburbs of San Luis Potosi where they tried to just like treat like we're back going normal. They got caught one time and it went back to no fans. And then they quietly just started putting up posters again to run back with with what said to be 30% capacity. But when you see the photos, you're there. You can tell that that's just something they're saying. I think they're an exception only than most people who are trying to run under the radar are just are not putting posters out and are not advertising their shows. They may have like quite like friendly WhatsApp groups, but they're trying to keep the circle quiet as they run. But also, you know, when you're doing that, you're not really drawing the people you would normally. And obviously you're taking a big health risk by doing those kind of shows. And CMLL sort of has been the exception, but they've, they were also been working with the government and what the, the, like the culture ministry or something to that effect. Cause that's what, that first show was right. Something tied in with the government. Yeah. The government was the Mexico government was doing a series of, you know, stay at home programming. Here's stuff you might enjoy that you can, but that you might've seen that are part of our culture and we'll let you watch it from home. And they wanted to do a literal Libre show, which was not exactly legal in Mexico city, but between the time, um, Conseco filmed the show for them and the time it aired, they came up with rules that to make it legal. So, uh, um, Conseco and the Culture Ministry of Mexico have a years-long relationship. Um, it's helped Conseco grow their tourist business a lot, so they are willing. So I think that was part of the reason why um, Conseco never tried to do anything, tried to run under the radar, or tried to run their own shows in some place because they wanted to maintain that relationship, and it paid off that they got some permission to do something that no one else was getting permission to do at that point. And apparently, I think if I have this if I have this wrong, correct me. But the the Lucha tour bus is running again for the Friday night show, but they didn't actually take them to the arena. They took them to someplace else for fans to watch the show. Right? Yes, it's part of the slow integration of trying to get those tourist buses back running in Mexico City. Because I'm sure that was some good money for people, and so they get. To they take the bus trip, and I think they see some tourist stuff, but they also get a rustler on board to talk to them and do some Q&A, and then they end up at a brewery to watch the show on big screens, watch the pay-per-view, but they get to watch it uh, kind of like a, an atmosphere like a Lucha show, but obviously not the same. And it's kind of strange to me because however big that brewery is, it's probably a lot tighter space than putting them in Arena Mexico. So it doesn't seem like it's like would be any safer. Maybe they have some sort of outdoor area they're putting them, and it's safer that way. But it's, it's something where I feel like I'm not understanding the full picture because the way it's explained, it doesn't make sense to me. That would almost be like if they put fan, if they actually let a limited number of fans in Arena Mexico, but they put them in the restaurant yes. instead of you know like spacing them at ringside like we've seen American companies doing. Yeah, it's very strange. I mean. I have hope for Conseco being able to open up sometime in the next month or so because you feels like it's their big advantage is they have that giant arena and they could space people out if they wanted to. But 
it, it's it's been a very slow process to recover in Mexico, and since it, and since they're probably not going to make it be able to make a vaccine on their own, um, they're probably it's probably going to last a lot longer for them than it might in other places. And I know there was that Los Angeles Times article a couple of weeks ago, right? That was about how, I guess, as part of the article about Mexico, it was about how luchadors have been getting, like, f- uh, funding or fruit baskets or food baskets like that from the government, something to that effect. Yeah, there's been different times where they've gotten um, donations and and different and like. As far as like food or other supplies to keep them going, there's been a program to essentially um, treat luchadors as if they're they're all small businesses and give them short-term loans that they that they that they can wait to pay back three years. Um, I think there's been it feels like there's more been more assistant assistance to luchadors in Mexico than there's been like professional wrestling in the U.S. because they treat it more like a career. But still, I think it's still only a small part of probably what people need to get back on their feet. And I assume it's silly to, to ask whether or not the promotions have been helping any of their wrestlers out. I think originally, um, Conseco paid people what would have been their Christmas bonus right away to help them out. But after that, I I have not heard of them paying some anymore. It may have been... It may have happened. I just haven't heard of it, but it did not sound that way. I would was assuming the same same thing was true with AAA, but I was um, listening to a podcast with Mr. Iguana recently, and he mentioned specifically that AAA has been paying all the wrestlers something each month to help them keep going. It may not be their full wages, but I'm sure anything is, will be a help right now. And I guess the main thing that came out of that article was, I guess, that it now is common knowledge that Ultimo Guerrero and Yuvia are a couple, which I guess was not widely known in like widely known to the public. I guess. No, I, I think there'd been, especially there'd been a couple of Twitter accounts who had like been nonstop talking about that for some reason. I, I didn't really understand the purpose because it's not like Yuvia. When we talk about Negro Casas in Dallas. I think someone could argue, you could fairly argue that Dallas was helped by Negro Casas' position in the company. Yuvi is the person who's like barely on shows, so if if she's with Ultimo Guerrero, she's not really getting any help from being with Ultimo Guerrero. But it was it was something that had been rumored heavily beforehand, so seeing in print was a, sort of a surprise. It was only a slight surprise, but I think most people who weren't really deep into the dark recesses of Lucha Libre Twitter had not heard about it. So it was a bit of a news. Well, it just seemed well because she was gone for a while. Was that just when when she had when she had a kid? Was that why she was gone for like a long time? I believe so because they they said that they mentioned the kid who was three years old, and they mentioned that they had been together for three years. So I'm assuming. And I believe her absence was about three years ago, so I think that all adds up. I'll say it was not a loser leave town match after she lost the the bet that Fredo continues to bring up to this day. No, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, the other thing I guess we can talk about while we have you here, since it's still timely, is that uh, the Observer Hall of Fame ballot came out a week or so ago, and. Voting is still ongoing, so I figured I would just sort of 
run down the list of names and you can sort of give your thoughts on, I guess, presumably everybody on the list is arguably deserving, so we won't talk about that, but maybe talk about maybe if if they have a good chance or they're sort of just there to make up the numbers as it were. As we were talking before the show, um, there had been a big logjam of Lucha candidates, including a lot of people that I think would be people would be surprised weren't already in, like Blue Panther. And uh, so a bunch of them got voted in or fell off the ballot this year, so uh, there's actually quite a bit of turnover this year. Yeah, there's a, I, I, I lost track of how many people are on there. I think maybe six new people. There's only like four people who are just perennial candidates who never can move in and out. And there's a lot of people who are there never were there before or there for the first time. So I, it's a lot of much older candidates too. I think with Blue Panther, I mean, Blue Panther's no spring chicken, but he's at least some guy who you've seen a lot of if you watch Lucha Libre in the last 20 years. Um, I think you you have guys from the who was biggest runs are in the 50s and the 60s, and you have a crew of guys who were bigger in the 80s and the early 90s. So it's a it's a harder ballot for me to get a handle on because there's a lot of people before my time, but I think it is an interesting group of names. I was gonna say yeah, I was gonna say a number of these people I believe are no longer with us. So and certainly are before the certainly more uh, before the lucha on TV era. So. Uh, we'll start with Medico Assassino. Medico Assassino, I think we can even throw Rita Romero in it. The, the first big competition for um, Consego when they were still MLL was a promotion on a TV show, on a TV channel called Televisiencio, which is now Televisa. Um, Medico Assassino was the big star of that promotion and like probably the biggest star in Lucha Libre in 1952. And, among the biggest stars for the next few years. Um, I think he set the template for all the evil mass um, doctors that you may be familiar with in Lucha Libre. Um, and he appeared in movies too. I think the reason he's never got in is because he, he did not last long. It's not that his career didn't last long, but he, um, he his promotion got disappeared about 1955 when Lucha Libre was kicked off TV in Mexico City. And then he wrestled a bunch in Texas along with Mexico, so he didn't have his big name in Mexico. And then he passed away in 1960 because he got cancer in 1959, where he discovered they discovered he had cancer in 1959. So he really only has like he has like maybe a four-year peak and a seven-year um, star-level career that makes him hard to place. He's like for the few years he's on top, he's probably one of the biggest wrestlers in the world, but because it's only a few years and he doesn't have that long longevity that people like to see. He's probably not jumped to the top of the list before. Yeah. On the other hand, speaking of longevity, we have the Brazos who, you know, I guess I, I, don't, I don't think Porky has wrestled in a couple of years. So I guess we could officially say they're all either retired or passed away now, but certainly that's a, that's a big name. And one that would certainly be popular among modern voters i'd think i think they would be i think what hurts them is that there's not really a great creative um re-understanding of their career there's it feels like because porky isn't wrestling because maximo and la Mosca are now uh, 
they're either on the fringes of AAA or out of it at all, and they're just not as big of figures as they used to be a few years ago. I'm worrying that people just aren't holding in as high esteem as they were before. Um, it, they, it, they, they're a group of guys who felt super relevant for a long period of time, who are now just because of the way things have worked out, just on the not as present in people's minds. But there's certainly for for voters and non-voters, there's certainly plenty of footage out there for them to see them at their peak. And of course, if we were voting just for skits, they'd be a sure lock. Yes, I, I think the, the, they're the the ones who disadvantage that there was a, even more TV because I'm sure we would have got more stuff from them just from their personalities, but also from their earlier. Um, UWA LLI career where they were really good before they even came into before they really got on CMLL TV as a regular act. Then we have probably arguably the most controversial name on the list, maybe. And that is Christico, aka Mystico, aka Sincara, who was, you know, one of the biggest stars in Lucha for a few years – oh, I mean, God, it's it's hard to think about how many years ago it is now. But uh, certainly the – what, the only luchador to win Wrestler of the Year in the Observer Awards. Then you have, you know, his WWF era career. You have him coming back to Mexico and now being, you know, at the top of the CMLL card again, plus, you know, all of his various, um, you know, indie dates were all – so – I guess the question is, does his huge peak that he had earlier in the 2000s, does that warrant inclusion or has the last few years sort of dimmed it a little? I, I think because Medico Asino has come on the bell and I kind of see them both having similar career tracks where they were both super megastars for a short period of time, and then but do not have a lot of great – but with Medico, his – Prime ended early because he he died of cancer. With with Christo, his prime ended early because he went to WWE. You can argue which one is worse. Um, Christo, I I think the problem is that he will never ever be able to escape the WWE stuff. I believe he belong belongs in and belongs in many years ago. But unless he has another run in some like ring of honor or AEW or something unpredictable like that, where he, he's just, he's an acceptable part of the roster. He'll never be able to shake that. I think you saw that with LA park, who was not a big, as big a star in Mexico, but really took him being re looked at with fresh eyes with us viewers or us voters before he was able to finally get into the ballot. And there's really no logical scenario where I can see that happening for Crisco. So I think he's going to be a guy who goes between 20 and 40% on the ballot every year until the voters turn over. And maybe there's a Mexican fan base who grew up a new Mexican group of voters who grew up seeing Crisco as a top star every year. Like they saw like people of this generation saw Atlantis and maybe they will be more willing to vote him in. See, I think I just haven't voted for him yet just because he's still active. It's sort of I, – I just sort of – I don't like voting for guys who are – I mean, he's not in his prime anymore, but given that it's Lucha, you know, he has another 
10 plus year career probably maybe not doing the same things anymore but it's sort of the same reason i didn't want to vote for ultimo guerrero yet where yes he what he's done deserves a vote eventually but just not yet uh, for me it's like it, I, I don't look at that at that way it's like if i understand right like professional golf has a thing where if once you reach a certain bar you're automatically in the hall of fame and I guess I see it the same way with the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Once you've reached a certain set of achievements or, that are hard to define or describe, but once you've reached that bar, there's really no going back underneath, going back to the bar the other way, whichever way that would be. I can't just make this metaphor work. But you know what I mean. When yeah. you cross, cross, cross the finish line for the Hall of Fame, then you've, then you've made the Hall of Fame, and I don't really care what you do afterwards. And Crystal crossed the Hall of Fame line for, finish line for me a while ago. Yeah, I think it's that – I know the LPGA used to have a rule where it was – it was something like 50 career wins and or 10 majors. And then yeah. you sort of – you automatically went in because also, you know, for you to win 10 majors and 50 victories, you probably have been around long enough too. You're not going to like – you're not going to have somebody who accomplishes that like in five years or something. You know, there's no like – Tiger Woods equivalent, where they just won so much at a young age. But like I said, Chris Guy definitely think is deserving. It's sort of, and also you knew you have the limitation of the ballot, where you only have ten choices. And especially with the way the Lucha Logjam was, there were so many deserving older candidates, especially guys who were in danger of falling off the ballot. It's the kind of, you know, I can trade my vote for this guy who either is going in or will go in eventually towards somebody else who needs it. So I think he may also fall in that category. Yeah, I think that's a possibility too. And so that'll be – I mean, we talked about how this ballot has changed so much since last year. It'll be interesting to see if some of those votes that went to other people end up going to him because there's now a spot free on the ballot for them or if they go to – or where they end up going. The next name on the list is Sangre Chicana, who was again somebody I may have been surprised hadn't wasn't wasn't in already. Yeah, I think because the eighties stuff is I feel like the eighties um Arena Mexico stuff is probably undervalued a bit in the Real Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame because it wasn't something that the readers were watching at that time and it's sort of like it requires people, either people who aren't wrestling observer readers, to getting get involved, or people who watch it later. So it's tough to get support. I have not watched as much '80s. I feel like every time I consider the '80s guys, I feel like I've watched not enough to have great opinions. But I was trying to work this out this this afternoon about who I would pick among Chicana, Jerry Estrada, Lafira, Peretta Morgan, who are all all the careers kind of overlap. Chicana seems like he was the biggest star of those four and maybe has the most famous mattress of those four. So it seems like he should be the easy candidate in. But of the other three, I think I have Perrett to Morgan as the best of those three, but I can be easily strayed, easily swayed to see if maybe Jared Strada should be out of him. Um, Lafayette, just maybe I caught the end of Lafayette, which was not a great end for him. And it was, so maybe I'm disregarding him too much, but I feel like if you went Chicana, Morgan, Jerry Shada, Lafira, and those rankings, that'd probably be the, the most fair way to do it. Yeah, I sort of agree. It's, I mean, I, I sort of look at all of them 
roughly similarly. And again, as I think I heard someone on a podcast say, it may have been Chris Elner that talking about Jerry Estrada, when you have a when you have a move named after you, that means you that means you've done something right. Unfortunately, he's now pay, you know he's paying for it in later life. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah, all of those guys I think are worthy. I don't know. I can't see any of them. I think maybe Parada Morgan may get the most votes out of those four. If if I had if I had to guess, or or probably or Jerry Estrada. But I mean, yeah, they're all four worthy and you know worthy for people to watch online. Certainly, people should watch if they have never seen it. The Sangre Chicana MS1 hair match if nothing else yeah uh watching some more of the 80s stuff was something i meant to do during the pandemic break and i kind of got away with away from it when other things came up but i'm hoping i find some more time to watch more of their stuff yeah so i guess like we said we've mentioned all those guys we can probably just skip ahead too uh the perennial name it seems like on the ballot who always gets enough votes to stay on but never get in is carlos lagarde yeah, and you know, I've been the one thing I have been doing the pandemic is I've been reading some history stuff. I read some stuff. I've been going to old magazines from the '60s and the '70s for literary Bay, and that's like the the stretch, the biggest stretch of Carlos Gardi's career. And I've determined that he's definitely was never a top star. It was it consistently someone else, either a tag partner or a rival, would always be ahead of him in the pecking order, no matter how you look at the pecking order, but he was also a guy who was for a couple decades regarded as one of the best wrestlers in Mexico. Um, I don't rate his title as meaning all that much. And I think that's what people give him the most credit because it was never a, the title itself was never treated as like the biggest title in the promotion. It wasn't really defeated. It wasn't, it wasn't like any more important than like other, the tiles they have today at times, but he held that title for so long because they held him as respect as one of the better workers. So it just feels weird to vote someone in based on work and longevity when you've never actually seen their work, because this is an era with almost no TV available and no recording available, but it feels like he, it seems like he's a candidate who could fit in that way. I think he is the one person still on the ballot that I have voted for. I think, every year that I've had a ballot. I think everybody else has either fallen off or gotten in. So, like, oh, keep at it. But uh, you know, he, He's a guy who I really, before doing this project, I never had him on the ballot. So I, or I had him off and on because sometimes I'd feel that. Sometimes I'd feel like he was just like a guy who was a hall of very great. But after doing this research, I think I might find a spot for him when I have that in the last couple of years. The next name on the list is Alberto Munoz. Yeah, this is one where I don't understand why he's on the ballot. He's another one who I've seen a lot of going – I've read a lot of going through these magazines. That he's, a, he's a guy who was on a arc to be a Hall of Fame candidate, but what happens is before he gets the big win over Rene Gardo, which is going to make him a top star, um, he takes a knee drop to the head in the match, and he suffers a massive head injury and he's out of wrestling for a year. Um, he eventually comes back against Doctor's Wishes, but he's never pushed as a top star even after that. So he does have like an NWA welterweight championship to his win, to, to his career total, but really there's not much there to make this case. So I'm curious 
who put this it feels like I'm missing a big part of the puzzle, but I don't know what that piece is. Well, I think I think that's sort of generally true on the ballot anyway, that there are there were people who came back on this year that I was like I don't necessarily understand why they're back on the ballot this year. And I guess sometimes I I guess if people do enough research to present the case to Dave or maybe it's just if they passed because it's like, you know, Bob Armstrong is back on the ballot. And I don't know if Bob had not passed away a month ago, whether he would be on the ballot now. Yeah, not that, not that he isn't deserving, but it's just like, you know, it's not like he's done anything to be back on other than the fact that he passed away. Yeah, and you know, you saying that just clicked something in my head, so I went and checked Alberto Munoz's obituary date, and it was December 14, 2019. Oh, so he died last year. That's probably it. Someone just, it's for the same reasons, they put him on the list to have one shot in, because he's probably never going to get a shot again. He'll get less than 10%, and that'll be it. There you go. Um, <laughs> next is Hurricane Ramirez, who, again, is probably somebody people might have thought was already in already. Yeah, because he's like one of the more famous guys in Lutra Libre history, especially one of the more famous from that era. It's also, it's just like what we would consider for baseball. His counting stats aren't that great because he was so famous that he didn't really need to go to Arena Mexico and have a whole bunch of mask matches or win a bunch of titles when he could go tour around Mexico and tour around Central and South America and draw that way without the without needing those things. So I think he's a tougher case to make, but I think if you were asking a person in Mexico off the street, like name 10 luchadors, I think Hurricane Ramirez usually will come up every time. Of course, there's also the issue of multiple Hurricane Ramirez's. Yeah. But you know, I think even that started to fade away in the last few years, I think because it hasn't worked at all and it hasn't been that valuable. So maybe that says something about where Hurricane Ramirez's status is now. But I think that obviously because he didn't own the name and because there were issues with the name and it got kind of trashed around after he stopped using it, I think that's probably, I think that um, his candidacy has suffered a little bit. But you make a good point about the thing about not, needing to work Mexico City, which is sometimes an argument that's used against guys in the territory era who didn't go to New York or go to Charlotte, where they, they sort of homestead. And I guess Bob Armstrong may be a good example of that. Where Or or Ole, where, you know, they were a big star in their area and or maybe part of the promotion. And so they made enough money they did not need to constantly go from territory to territory to build up their reputation. So it's like, you know, why – God knows, you know, wrestling in the 70s and 80s, it's like why travel if you don't have to? And if you're yeah. making if you're making $100,000 in the 70s as a wrestler and booker the way Ole was, it's like why would you leave the Carolinas or Georgia if you didn't have to? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of the opposite in Mexico, where people did not want to – if you did not have to give Arena Mexico and email out a portion of your bookings all the place, but you could get yourself booked everywhere you wanted on your own, you probably would prefer to do that route. And there's a lot of guys – like 
at that point of the career of Santo and Blue Demon, who were would show up in Arena Mexico occasionally, but were booking their own schedule. And so Arena Mexico wasn't going to do as much with them when they were around. And Hurricane Ramirez is in that same category. But that means if you don't know the full grasp of the history and you just only have the Mexico City results, it seems like he's just around and not doing much. Yeah, and the last Lucha name on the list is Rita Romero, who I think most people probably just know because there's a hold named after him. But, you know, it's another guy who, you know, pre-television era worked in a lot of, you know, but he's also somebody that worked in the U.S. probably to his uh, benefit for voters. Yeah, I, I think that makes him also a tough place in the Mexico category because he's a guy who had success in Mexico um, had a lot of success in Guadalajara and had a lot of success in Texas, but those two regions may not be voting on each other's history all that much. Um, he was another guy who was in the same promotion as Medico Asino, where he was part of the, t- the opposition to EMLL for a short time before going going there, but he did not because he was not part of the, the Mexico City main brand. He doesn't have those Reno Mexico wins and title wins that we were talking about with Hurricane Ramirez too. Um, I feel like if we knew everything about Rio Romero's career, he's either a slam dunk he should definitely be in, or he's not even close. But the problem, but he feels like a borderline guy because we don't know. I, or at least I don't feel like I know as much as I want to about his career. Yeah, I guess uh, that's it for the Lucha candidates, uh, at least the Mexico candidates. Um, is there anybody else on the ballot? Just in any of the other sections that that you wanna you wanna chat about while we're while we're doing this? No, I generally stay clear from the rest of the ballot. I, I think it's like I don't want to. I, I feel like some people in the past and probably even the present go into the Mexico category to vote for the one or two people they know and don't pay attention to the people to the Rio Ramiro's or the Apple Munoz of the of the world, of that category, to find out about them. And I don't want to do that to somebody else's candidacy by voting just for a couple guys. Although it's interesting, there are some, I guess, Lucia-adjacent candidates, if you want to maybe say it that way. It's like, I mean, Pompero Furpo is Argentinian, so he's not really doing Lucha, but he's from South America. And then you have, you know, you have Gorman and Goliath, who... Are sort I guess you could kind of say are lucha adjacent, as it were, being in Los Angeles for all that time. And well, I guess yeah, there's Chavo Senior is on is back on the ballot too. So I guess maybe some it's you know it's the kind of thing where it's you know I liked you know Chavo's old work and all the stuff in the '80s, but you know it's somebody I don't necessarily automatically think of as a Hall of Famer. No, I think he's probably going to have to go as a guy who was as a worker or innovative guy, but it's like, it's tough to vote him in from the Mexico stuff because his father and his father's territory was so separate from the rest of Mexico that it's not really, his greatest success came in the U.S. compared to the stuff he did south of the border. I think Gorman and Glyph are Mexican born and it's kind of, they kind of, feel like they belong some ways they feel like they belong in the category as much as Rio Romero. But just going through those research I've done in the sixties, seventies, you can see them both wrestling a lot in Arena Mexico and getting no respect in the booking at all. They're um 
I think it's Gordon wins the heavyweight title, the national heavyweight title, but he's not really pushed or used much in that role at all. And then they, there's like the notes column mentioned that both of them individually end up going to Los Angeles and you don't hear much about them for a few years. And they stop back again and they talk about how they're giant stars in LA now and the, all the Mexican wrestlers, they're bigger stars than every other Mexican who comes there except Milmos Scaros. And, and their careers have just totally changed at a point. And if you're kind of waiting for that to happen in Mexico, it never does, but just other places, people work out a lot differently. And I guess the only other person who I guess really has no, I'm surprised doesn't have any Lucha that I can see is, is Miguel Perez senior. So I guess he was pretty much only the United States and Puerto Rico. He, I don't think he did much of anything in Mexico. Did he? Not that I can think of. There's really, it's a surprising few crossovers from Puerto Rico and the Caribbean in total to Mexico, especially during that time period. I'm not sure. It it seemed like when Arena Mexico would bring in people, they were looking for Americans or Europeans, usually just to get a more visually foreigner aspect. So I, there weren't that much Puerto Rican guys getting time there. Which is kind of funny because certainly CMLL in 2000 showed that if you have a team of Barriquas, you they can get over pretty strongly as heels. Yeah, and I guess I, even I, I guess even to the present, I guess. You know, sort of it's easy, I guess, easy heat maybe to do, to do, to be Puerto Rican or do a Puerto Rican, like we mentioned Zussies earlier, you know, that it seems like that rivalry never, you can always revive that rivalry between Mexico and Puerto Rico in wrestling. Yeah, I wonder if it's a boxing crossover thing that just wasn't there until more recently, relatively recently, but um, yeah, it's just surprising that it was not, that those two worlds of wrestling really did not cross over until like the last couple decades yeah uh, i guess the last thing before we go um cubs fan is that uh the cubs are in the postseason in the strangest of all baseball seasons and you've got a first round matchup with the marlins who as you pointed out to me before we started are are do not bring back the most fondest of memories for for cubs fans no, I mean, at least this would be worse if they, if they did not win a championship in between them. But obviously, that was a, a memory of some bad, serious times. And um, this, even if they get swept in two games and lose 9-0 in each one, this will not be as bad as 2003. I guess it's, it's just such a, you know, that 60 games is such a small sample size that even... You know, the teams that have sort of dominated, like Tampa and the Dodgers, you wonder, you know, in a three-game in a three game series, any sorts of weird stuff can happen. Yeah, so, I mean, it's – I think the Cubs are in a good position because they have two good starting pitchers to at least draw first, first two starts. But, it's three, but, I mean, we've both watched baseball for long enough to see a bad team beat a very good team in random three-game series in the, in the middle of regular season. So – there's really no way to feel strongly or positively about this team. I, I think everyone who watched baseball this year believes that the Dodgers are by far the best team in the NL. But if they lost a three-game series, it's not like it's not possible. It's just it's such a short time that anything can happen. Yeah, especially when they're playing all of these, when they're cramming in all of these mm-hmm. games, and you know, one injury, and who knows? I mean, you know. 
and you know, in a way, the Cubs sort of are benefiting from the Marlins injuries now. So, but again, everything's a crapshoot right now. Yeah, it just it, it all it takes is like one reliever blowing a game, and then your picture in the next day doesn't show up, and that's the end of your season. I think there's been talk about expand keeping these sort of playoff structure for their seasons and I would really hate it. I think it's fine for 60 games because you really don't know who the best teams are. So it's not like in most cases, it would not be some sort of injustice if someone lost in the first round. But if you played six months of baseball and you were out after just because you had two bad days, it would just be, it would be too much. Yeah. It was sort of like the one year the NFL had that had a weird postseason. I think one of the strike years. And so it was, it was just very strange, and this is sort of, you know, I mean, all of the playoffs and all of the sports, I guess really, you know, on paper, if you would have told me, you know, that the Lakers were going to be in the NBA Finals, I don't think that's probably much of a shock, but, you know, or or if you told me before the pandemic that Tampa Bay was going to win this Stanley Cup, I don't think I would have been drastically surprised. But still, watching these weird playoff formats has just been another example of just how strange this year is. Yeah, I, I think this is a year where we might get some strange, like, six seed versus four seed in the World Series, and no one's going to be all that surprised. No, true. I guess uh, one last thing before we go, since I know you are also a uh, a gamer, what's – uh? What are your thoughts on the upcoming consoles? Are you going to jump right in if you can get one and get a PS5? Or are you going to wait? Or are you not going to get any of them? You know, I had been putting something aside to get a PS5. So when those pre-orders went on sale on Amazon, I threw an order in. But I, I still have time to change my mind. I don't think – I think this is like a bad impulse decision than anything that's reasonable to do at this point, The what they're offering. Is, I think the Xbox offer is pretty reasonable, and if I was an Xbox person, I would be more interested. I, I'd be feel more comfortable about it. But the PlayStation 5, they really aren't offering anything that you can't really do pretty much already with the PlayStation 4. Maybe a little bit better if you have a high-end TV, but I do not have a high-end TV. So I mean. This is like an indefensible purchase by me. Um, I think it worked out when I bought the PS4 and the PS3 early because I played them long enough that I got the value out of it, but I would have liked to see a better rollout for these things. And who knows how much of that is like plans fell through because the pandemic pushed things back. But it's like I'm making a choice that I would not recommend anyone else make. Yeah, I am definitely in the not getting – not getting either right now. I'm content to not. Well, for one, none of the launch games seem very interesting to me in general. So certainly not enough to spend four hundred, five hundred dollars on one of these new systems. When really the only thing I do is play on my Switch these days, or like my daily token playing of like Red Dead and No Man's Sky. So it's like I don't need one of these new systems. If, if anything, I'd be more tempted to buy a PS4 only because there's, there are all these great games that have come out in the last couple of years that I haven't played because I have an Xbox. Yeah, and especially, I mean, especially since they're talking about PS4 being, you'd be able to play those on PS5 anyways. I think it's going to be like a good situation for a few years to keep with that system. I mean, if, 
if Miles Morales is going to be come out on the PS4 and PS5, then, you know, I don't know why, if I was a PlayStation guy, I would necessarily need to buy a PlayStation 5 right away. Especially if buying it on the PS4 means you will eventually be able to play it on PS5 anyway. Yeah, that's the game I'm probably, I want to play and launch on PS5, but really it doesn't make any sense that I'm doing this, because it's probably going to be just as good as PS4. Um, the games I want on the PS5 are probably like a year away, so... I am doing this. I, oh, at least I still have the order in. I still can cancel it. But it, it, it really, they have not made it a enticing offer to do this. It's just being dumb. So I'm willing to be dumb sometimes. And in the worst case scenario, you could always flip it if you wanted, because I'm sure there's going to be a demand. Because supply, demand is certainly going to outreach supply. So if you happen to get one and don't and change your mind, flipping it is not the worst thing in the world to do, probably. Yeah, I think that's going to be a, a big a big issue come around Christmas time, where there's the demand is going to be way above the supply. But I think if I actually get to one of the reasons I am getting the PS5 or was thinking of this, that I am thinking of handing off the PS4 to some other people, so I will be able to keep my games and they will be able to play some games. So um, I, I, I think people are going to be happy, which if they stay with the old system or get a new system this this winter. True. Uh, thanks, Cubs, as always, for doing the show. People can uh, find you on Twitter at LuchaBlog, and, of course, there's the LuchaBlog and the LuchaWiki. Um, do you have anything else coming up, going on? No, no other projects going on right now. I guess if you do so, I guess if you do a year-end thing this year, you will not, it will not be nearly as much work as the last couple years. Oh, yeah, all the... All the stuff, all the work I normally have to do is going to be much smaller because there's a lot less stuff to do. I would kind of prefer to have more stuff to do because it's just been disappointing how missed opportunities to see stuff that would have been interesting this year. And I'll say, and uh, yeah, I don't know how that bodes for the future of the Tapatia Awards this year. I think they're just going to be like everything else. They're just going to be very weird. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. Cool. Well, thanks, Cubs, again for your time. Um, we hope to have some new project to announce uh, in the near future, so stay tuned for that. We may have a podcast devoted to that. We may not. You may just need to check out the web or Twitter for that. So thanks again, Cubs, and we will talk to everybody next time.